good morning. It is a privilege to be with you again. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Well, while you turn there, as I said, it's a privilege, it's an honor to be with you. Uh, it is a joy to worship with you. It is an encouragement as uh, to know and to see how God is at work in your church family as he builds his church through the faithful preaching of his word, through the, the, the organization of and the, and, the, and the ministry of the church, just to be uh, entirely tethered to God's word and its sufficiency to build his people, to sanctify his church, and to grow them for the glory of his name and for your good. So keep up the work. It's an encouragement to those of us watching from afar. So this morning we're going to be in Psalm 91. Psalm 91. I want to invite you to stand with me as we read. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. May God bless the preaching of his word today. You may be seated. Would you pray with me and ask his blessing upon us? Lord, we open your word now, desperately reliant, desperately in need of you to minister to your people through your word. Lord, I have no word, I have no great wise sage advice for making it through life. What we have before us is your word. Make it clear. Cause the Savior to 
to, to shine brightly at the forefront of our minds. May the gospel be beautiful. May its power over us be gripping. May we see the transforming grace that you have brought to us, that you have, you have lavished upon us, and that you are continually working within us as your people. And we pray this in the name of Christ, our King, our Lord, our rock, our refuge. We pray this in his name, amen. In 1977, at the height of the Cold War, Anatoly Sharansky, a brilliant young mathematician and chess player, was arrested by the KGB. He spent 13 years inside a Soviet gulag. From morning to evening, Sharansky read and studied all of 150 of the Psalms. He said, what does this give me? Gradually, my feeling of great loss and sorrow changes to one of bright hopes. Sharansky so cherished his book of Psalms, in fact, that when guards took it away from him, he laid down in the snow, refusing to move until they returned it. During those 13 years while he was in a gulag, his wife traveled around the world campaigning for his release. She told one university audience that she was speaking to, in a lonely cell in Kistapol prison, locked alone with the Psalms of David, Anatoly found expression for his innermost feelings in the outpourings of the King of Israel thousands of years ago. You aren't in the misery of a Soviet gulag. But when your heart feels the despair of life's circumstances, when it feels like everything going on in your life seemingly is all working in concert to dismay you or even to destroy you, where do you turn? What I want to argue for you, what I want to put before you from Psalm 91, I think Psalm 91 shows us this, is that you can trust God even when everything in your life says you will be destroyed. Let me say that again. You can trust God even when everything in your life says you will be destroyed. psalmist first, we're, we're going to make our way through this in kind of in three acts. First in verses one and two, just very basically, the psalmist says, basically from my own experience, you can trust God. The psalm begins with its author essentially saying, let me tell you that I have found God to be able to carry the weight of all of my burdens. This is what he says in verses one and two. And he says, I want you to know that whatever is gripping your heart, you can trust God to faithfully care for you as well. Look at this. The psalm begins in verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Do you catch that word dwells? It's not visits. It's not checks in. It's not has acquaintance with. It's dwells. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. I'm going to tell you something right here at the outset. God makes a terrible insurance agent that you call when you're in a pinch. Yes, you can pray. You can call upon God when you're in a pinch. But how often do you call your insurance agent 
just to check in when things are fine. Some of you don't even know the name of your insurance agent. I don't know the name of mine. Some big nameless company. But God makes a terrible insurance agent that you run to when disaster has come, but you don't know anything of him otherwise. No, God is an all-beautiful, all-satisfying Lord who invites us to and who commands us even to come dwell in the shadow of who he is. But it's woven into our DNA as human beings, dating all the way back to our original parents in the garden, Adam and Eve. It is woven into the fabric of our DNA because of our sin nature to want to keep God at arm's distance. We want to call upon him when disaster arises, but in the sheer wonder of Christianity, it is in the grace of God that God throws open the doors of his throne room. And he invites us to do what? To dwell near to him. Psalm 91 reveals to us the heart of God beats in unflinching love towards those who belong to him. How often this week, parents, grandparents, how often this week did you worry about your children or your grandchildren? Something came up that just kind of pierced your heart a little with a sense of worry, a sense of concern. How often this week did that happen? How often did any of you feel the sharp edges of a disagreement at work? A coworker you can't seem to quite see eye to eye with, and you feel the, the uncomfortableness of that. How often did a news event even briefly rattle your cage about the state of our world, state of our country, or anything else that would weigh upon your mind or your heart? What the psalmist shows us is that when these things begin to fill up our hearts, there is a place where we can dwell and find relief. Way up where we are, we're in a suburb of Boston, up in New Hampshire, about a three-hour drive north from us in the White Mountains, there is a uh, large mountain called Mount Washington. It's about 7,000 feet. Uh, It is known for its incredibly uh, crazy weather at the top of the mountain. It it basically, uh, uh, weather forces from Canada uh, collide with like the jet stream that brings warmer weather up from the south, and so it produces all sorts of wild weather. Uh, Mount Washington is known for having, uh, at one point, I think it's since been surpassed recently, but at one point it had the highest wind gusts the world had ever seen recorded on scientific instruments of 231 miles per hour. That was on April 12th, 1931. Just this past winter, during a brutal cold snap that we had Up there in early February, Mount Washington recorded the lowest wind chill ever recorded in America, uh, negative 108.4 degrees. That sounds good right now, doesn't it? You're like, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, Yet at the top of Mount Washington, where these wind gusts just howl, where snow falls, where the temperatures are, 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 are incredibly cold, at the top of Mount Washington... There's a weather observatory where scientists and workers at the observatory live in perfect safety. They'll post pictures on their social media accounts of them sitting, out, sitting in like conference rooms or sitting in, in a kind of a communal room there and with their computers and everything and doing their research and they have short sleeve shirts on and shorts on and they're drinking a cup of coffee and outside it is just blisteringly 
terrifying weather. And yet they are inside the refuge at the top of the mountain. Psalmist shows us something like this. God is our refuge in the brutal cold and the soul-piercing winds of this life as they would seek to want to cut us in half. Psalmist says, no, God is our refuge and our shelter. Look at verses 1 and 2 and just see the four ways that the psalmist describes God. He describes him as most high, almighty, refuge, fortress. These descriptions of God serve to remind you and me that our safety is not grounded in our circumstances. For the Christian, our safety is grounded in the nature of who God is. You see, he does not promise to remove us from the storm. He promises to be our refuge in the storm. See, the miracle of what Jesus has done on the cross, atoning for our sins, welcoming, welcoming us into relationship with God, is that he does so not, he doesn't welcome us in before God as peasants begging for mercy, but as he, he welcomes us in having made us children who delight in the love of God our Father. So in this state of God's grace that we who are Christians live under, that, 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 that dwells upon us, we do not have to call upon God uh, and, and, and get put in a never-ending wait list. Or, okay, I've got to go pray, and oh man, I'm number 748,312 in line. This is going to be a long time on hold. Or you don't have to call and ask other Christians, hey, what, what kind of mood is he in today? Is now a good time to take these needs that I have or this sin I need to repent of? Is now a good time for that or is he, did God get up on the wrong side of the bed today? No, dear Christian, you never have to worry about any of that. He is our shelter, our refuge, our fortress. The Christian dwells in the shadow of God's goodness with his grace continually applied to us like medicine that flows through our veins with our hearts beating in hope because of grace, 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 grace. The grace that caused us to be born again is the same grace that will preserve us and lead us all the way home. So these first two verses feature the psalmist basically saying, you can trust God. I know it. I have experienced it. And now in God's kindness, the psalmist, he does not stop there, but he supplies us with gracious reminders of how we can know we can trust God. Don't just take it from him to say, okay, you can trust God. If you're like me, you always want to know what's the rest of the story. Let me know the how, the why. Explain a little further. So now the psalmist gives us this. Not just you can trust God, but now let me tell you how you can trust God. And this is in verses 3 to 13. The psalmist then starts to kind of go through a list of these, these metaphorical feelings of danger that can seem to press in on you on all sides, whether it's pestilence or plague, whether it's terror of the darkness of the night, arrows that seemingly are racing by your head, and all of these threats as you walk the tightrope of life with heavy winds threatening to blow you into the crashing waters below. The psalmist says it is God who upholds you. He will deliver you. And yet, interestingly, in verses 7 and 8, what the psalmist does is, is here's, here's one of the beauties of God's word. One of the beauties of God's word is that it doesn't beat around the bush. But it is able to penetrate deeply to the bone, to the marrow of, uh, of our greatest needs and of our greatest hurts. 
And this is one thing that's happening here because the psalmist, you know, he lists all these other things that could threaten the people of God. But then he, he, he gets to the heart of the matter in verses 7 and 8 where he says, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. See, here's what the psalmist is basically saying. You have all these dangers that you feel like you, you, they're, they're taking out everyone over here. They're taking out everyone over here. I'm next. I'm a sitting duck. Whatever it is that weighs upon you that you feel is going to destroy you, the psalmist says, hold on a minute. Even if it takes out everyone around you, God will keep you. Every single Sunday... I don't know how it works specifically here, but I imagine it's similar to how it is at the church that I pastor. After the service, I'll make my way to the lobby and I'll greet people, I'll chat with people on the way out the door, but it never fails. Every single Sunday, I chat with members of our church on the way out the doors. They share various burdens that, that their hearts feel. I can be a little more open with... I, I, I'm not even going to try to think of examples. I'm very sleep deprived right now. We drove overnight from, never mind, but yeah. Small kids, yeah, I'm not going to try to think of examples. But they share with me various pains, afflictions that, that they're navigating or that, that a loved one is navigating. Families turned upside down. We have a high number of people in our church family who maybe husband or wife is a believer, but they have an unbelieving spouse. Maybe that's about some of you are in today. Where, where others who are very near to them do not share the faith that they share. And it makes things difficult. They're, they're even offended by the Christian faith. Some deal in our church deal with the ever-present difficulties of a body that is betraying them. Persistent illness just torments and antagonizes them. Yet as the psalmist seeks to serve for the encouragement of our hearts, and he lists out all sorts of challenges, and it's like he lists all of these out, and he says, you might feel like you have this happening. You might feel your business is falling apart. You might feel like your crops aren't going to grow. You might feel like your family is turning their back on you. You might feel like those who oppose the gospel are seeking your destruction or your harm. You might feel all of these things, and then he brings us to verse 9. And he lays a warm blanket upon us and says, calm down, take a deep breath, and rest in the grace of God. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. This sounds spectacular, doesn't it? Let's, let's just sit in the heights of it before we move on. Listen to it again. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. It's as if we're sitting here at the top of the mountain looking on the glories of God's care for his people, the promises of his care for his people. 
Yet honesty demands that we ask. Okay, if I'm going to hang on to this promise, Stephen, how do I do it? Because I feel like evil has befallen me. How does this work? The sickness I carry, the rejection I feel from those I love, it's very real. So either there's some kind of explanation here or we've just proven the Bible to be incorrect and not worthy of our trust. I'll give you a guess which one it is. So here's what we have to understand. We have to understand how to navigate our circumstances in light of God's sanctifying work in us. Sanctification is the ongoing work of God in our lives where he works all things, not some things, not a few things, not things when conditions are right, all things in accord with his good purposes for us. So as your body wastes away, your heart is strengthened in your Lord's faithfulness and the promise of the hope of the resurrection. As you endure scorn or rejection or hurt because you're walking obediently before the Lord, your soul is comforted knowing that God is using these to satisfy you with his unending love. As you face despair or depression that makes the hope of the gospel and the peace of God seem not like the sun in which you are warmed, but like a distant flickering light that cannot uh, light the darkness that surrounds you. The sanctifying grace of God is to draw near to you and to sweetly comfort you in the promise that he will dry your tears. I invite you to ponder Charles Spurgeon's comments on verses 9 and 10. It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of the Lord. Ill to him is no ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Even death is his gain. Brothers and sisters, sometimes this is something that in the Christian life we we can fail to put together. We hear the gospel. We repent of our sins. We come to faith in Christ. We know that heaven and the presence of God awaits us. But then how do I, what, what happens on this journey from point A to point B? Well, what scripture shows us is that he who began a good work in us, he will be faithful to complete it. Do you recognize the same grace of God that is the means by which you were born again is the same grace of God that carries you, that sustains you, that preserves you, that keeps you from falling away every moment, every day, from the moment of conversion for the Christian all the way until the moment you see your Lord face to face. There is nothing that can take you out of His hands. Perhaps that'd be something for you after the service or sometime this week. Maybe you've you've felt the challenges, the struggles, the trials of life starting to mount up, starting to pile up and looking more and more ominous as dark clouds rest over you. And maybe that's something for you to reach out to Pastor Andy and ask, hey, help me to think through. Can you give me some resources, a sermon to listen to, books to read, something that can help me to see and to take hold of this promise that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Sometimes we, I, I feel like our attitude or our perspective in the Christian life is that we, we receive this abundant grace at conversion and it has to, it, it almost has to like, we have to ration it out all the way until we reach glory. But no, 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 no. 
He gives us new mercies how often? Every morning. Every moment new mercies. Wake up and look at the sun rising and say, "Mm, that smells like a fresh batch of new mercies. You know, if you're feeling out what Christianity is all about, you're kind of like, I'm not sure that's for me. Maybe a loved one or a friend twisted your arm and brought you here today. Maybe you've seen that, okay, I can resonate that there's a lot in life that I don't understand that kind of can make life difficult from time to time. May I just share with you if that's the boat that you're in? That, That God is able to bind you up and carry you through these hardships. And I invite you to give consideration to the prospect that your desperate yearnings for a refuge in the storm, that maybe you seek it in acceptance before others, in in love from another, or in a relationship that you desire. Maybe you seek that refuge in good health or accomplishments that you can hang your hat on, that others can be impressed by you or proud of you. Perhaps the shelters that you previously have sought have collapsed in the storm. And today you're here and you, you, you recognize you need a refuge, a fortress that others have not been able to supply you with. And so you come to Psalm 91 and I invite you to see the Lord who is able to be your, storm, your, your refuge in the midst of the storm. You see, the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of Christianity is that Jesus Christ came and actually endured the greatest storm that any of us would ever face when he endured God's just, holy, righteous wrath upon our sins. As he, the perfect, sinless son of God, went to the cross, he endured the penalty, the punishment that was due for you and I on the cross. The wrath of God. And so he invites you to see and to come to him and find that he who shed his own blood for you will prove sufficient in caring for you and is sufficient in wiping the tears from your face. Maybe speak with Pastor Andy after the service if you have more questions about that or me. If you see me around, I'd love to try to answer questions as well or listen and and provide any feedback that'd be helpful. Getting back to our text, if you read verse 11, you might see that language and say, hey, that sounds familiar. You know, verse 11 is what Satan quoted to Jesus when he was tempting Jesus to throw himself off the top of the temple. Remember, he gave Jesus three different temptations early in Jesus' ministry. And the last one, he was telling him to throw himself off the temple and know that God will send his angels to catch you. But Jesus didn't put God to the test, right? He knew this passage was entirely being misunderstood, misapplied by Satan, and the plan of, and work of God in his life would not be through dramatic, miraculous rescue, but actually through a humiliating, horrifying death. So do you remember where God did send his angels to minister to and protect Jesus in his ministry? It was right before he was betrayed and arrested. He knew that, he was, that what was coming, he was in great agony, praying, asking the Father if there's another way for this rescue of your people to happen, for atonement to occur other than the cross, other than my death. And the Lord sent his angels to minister to him. So we must see this course of Jesus' life from the top of the temple to the agony of the cross in order that by looking upon his suffering, we can have hope in our suffering. Maybe that's just what you need to hear today. Your God who, who looks upon you in love 
He too has suffered. The wonder of the gospel is that Jesus was destroyed in order that those who belong to him might not be destroyed. He was victorious over sin, over death, over betrayal, over heartbreak, over despair. He was victorious over these that we may by faith cling to him. Dear Christian, recognize this. Jesus did not shed his blood for you. Only to reach a point where on July 2nd, 2023, he would look up and say, I've had enough with that one. I'm done. No, 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 no. He shed his blood for you, and his blood is that eternal covenant, that eternal oath by which he promises to never leave nor forsake you. So as we walk through this passage, we've seen this exhortation to trust the Lord. The psalmist saying, hey, trust God, verses 1 and 2. Then verses 3 to 13 saying, here's why you can trust God. But now, I want us to hear from one more figure. The psalmist kind of says, I don't have anything else to say. Now a new, new speaker comes in to tell us that we can trust God. And in verses 14 to 16, that new speaker is God himself. Listen to God tell you that you can trust him. Remember, I'm holding before you this promise from this passage that that you can trust God when everything in your life says you will be destroyed. I don't know, have you ever been on hold with customer service, like like with with a cable bill or something? And, and or a cell phone bill or maybe trying to rebook airline tickets or something and, and you speak to somebody, you have an issue that needs to be resolved and you speak to somebody on, on an introductory level and, and, and they're, just, they're just giving you the script. You know, the, the, our, your, your, your satisfaction is very important to us. We're sorry to hear that you've had this difficulty and you know, and, 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 but they, they really can't, they, they don't have the, the credentials to be able to, to, to fix the, the problem. Um, well, first of all, let's be gracious with those folks. They're just following the script. They're, they're, they're trying their best. But you know, you always have to ask for, can I speak to a manager? Can I speak to a manager? Can I speak to a manager? You try to climb the ladder in order to reach that point where you can speak to somebody that's actually in control. These verses graciously show us that God does not put us on hold. He does not leave resolution to our tears. He does not assign your tears to, to lower level introductory employees. He says, let me... Let me have your tears. God himself speaks to us in verses 14 to 16. Listen to this. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Look at the multiple promises of God in these verses. Just look at this. He promises to deliver. He promises to protect. He promises to answer. He promises to be with. He promises to rescue. He promises to honor. He promises to satisfy. And he promises to show salvation to all those who hold fast to him. All of that in just three verses. Sometimes I'm a little slow to pick up on things. And I have found that, that one thing that's really helpful when reading God's word is, is sometimes I have to read a passage once or twice and then I have to read it 10 or 12 more times to really allow it to start to sink in. 
Because sometimes we can feel like we have such familiarity with maybe specific texts or just the argument, oh yeah, God's in control, all these, yeah, okay, I get it. And we're just kind of getting our Bible reading done for the day. But no, look at this. You, you, the, the gold that we would miss in verses 14 to 16 if we just glossed over it. God promises to deliver, to protect, to answer, to be with, to rescue, to honor, to satisfy, and to show salvation to all of those who hold fast to him. You need that. I need that. My watch is telling me I need that. Do you continually live in the stress of bills that you don't know how you will pay them? In fact, unexpected expenses are so common that they become expected. You just don't know where they're going to jump out from. Your Lord does not promise you riches, but he promises to deliver you. He might not deliver you from great financial loss, but he will deliver you from any loss that would tell you that you will be ruined and that you will be all alone and that you will be undone. He will deliver you. Your Lord Jesus had nowhere to lay his head and he draws near to you that you may lay your head upon him. Do you live in the fear of just life and the bottom falling out? A phone call that could rip your heart out. A relationship that's teetering on the brink and you don't know how things are going to go. Are they going to go right side up or upside down? Your Lord promises to protect you. He does not promise to protect you from heartache. But he promises to protect you from the disaster of being adrift at sea and without hope. And telling you and, and, and all of the worst fears that your heartache tells you that are coming. Your Lord, who was forsaken and abandoned by those closest to him, promises to never forsake or abandon you. Do you have worries or needs that cripple your mind? Prayers that have seemingly gone unanswered for years or even decades? God promises to answer. He might not be answering with the clarity that you seek. But maybe in this moment from Psalm 91, you need to respond to him. Okay, Lord, I'm putting my desperate desire for an answer to the side. Because what I am starting to see here is that greater than an answer on this specific situation that perplexes me or troubles me. Greater than that, I need you to show me your sufficiency for me. That whether I get the answer I want or the answer I don't, you are going to be able to satisfy me in the morning with your love. Help me to take hold of that as I wait. Help my heart to be engulfed in your love as fires burn around me. Do you live in the throes of loneliness? feeling as if no one understands you. Perhaps you feel trapped in your own body that seems to disagree with your understanding of yourself. Perhaps you feel trapped in a stage of life that you can't quite navigate how to get out of. 
You had plans for your life. You had plans for your family. You had dreams and goals. And you don't know what exactly they were supposed to be. Or maybe you do have specific things you envisioned. But you know that where you are now is not where you thought you would be. Your Lord promises to be with you when life has seemingly abandoned you. Look to the cross and see that our Lord Jesus is not a politician who only checks in when we're having a celebration or a ribbon cutting. He comes near when tears saturate your pillow and sleep evades you. Is your body wasting away in illness? Is a loved one declining in health and it is painful for you to watch their slow but noticeable decline. Look to the empty tomb and know that for those who are in Christ, they will enjoy the fullness of resurrection. Death may close its grip upon you in this life, but death will only be your servant in taking you to your Savior who has defeated it. You will awaken in the warmth of the glory of the face of our Lord Jesus. And with a resurrected body, you will one day laugh and delight in your Lord as we enjoy the new heavens and new earth for eternity. Do you endure scorn or mockery for the faith? Do you try to speak the gospel to those around you, but you feel so insecure in your words? You just feel like your words are not well-reasoned arguments. They're a jumbled word salad that nobody would be able to understand giving explanation for the faith that is so vibrant in your heart feels so puny coming out of your mouth? Do you feel the shame of knowing others who think your faith is one of bigotry and hate? Though the world may scorn your name, though the person sitting across the table may even mock your faith, your Lord will honor you. There is a precious intimacy with our King Jesus that can only be known by sharing in his sufferings. Does life feel as if it is inevitably marching towards a dark prospect? You combine all of these factors and you recognize that this is a life of toil and grief. Good news and great blessing shines like the afternoon sun, but somehow you always find that you're like Charlie Brown and the dark clouds continually seem to find you. Your Lord promises to sustain you and show you his salvation. Don't take my word for it. Take his. Just listen to verses 14 to 16. Because he, or I'll insert, or she holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. From morning to evening in that Soviet gulag, Anatoly Sharansky read the Psalms. And he remarked, what does this give me? Gradually, my feeling of great loss and sorrow changes to one of bright hopes. Brothers, sisters, church family, First Baptist, Olo, you can trust God 
even when everything in your life tells you you will be destroyed. Would you pray with me?